and milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And today we are going to be covering uh, what the globalists have in store for us, uh, past, present, and future. And so what we're concerned about is not only um, the hashtag died suddenly and what the covid uh, vaccine vaccines uh, are doing to us as a species. Uh, we're also um, addressing, I think, constantly uh, the bioengineering uh, of products in our foods and the uh, chemtrails and all the other things that uh, have been proven. Um, I was watching this... Uh, this uh, pilot talking about how they really do put chemtrails, it, uh, chemicals into these wings of these planes. And yet, you know, the, it's a conspiracy that somehow it's just uh, oxygen crystals that are making those uh, those streaks of, of, of gas that's going through the air. And that's perfectly normal. Um and then you start to see bioengineering foods, even in our organic foods. Um, but it started with, you know, these vaccines. So we're going to play, uh, we're going to be playing a few audio clips today that are going to be super powerful. So buckle up. Uh, this is going to get a little scary. But what we've been dealing with is not only a strategic scandemic or plandemic. It's a scamdemic because they profited from their ty tyranny. And it's a plandemic because they are planning on destroying things so that they could build them up. Cloward and Piven comes to mind. Sololinsky comes to mind. Barack Hussein Obama comes to mind. In the sense that 
you know, Dinesh D'Souza had that movie from 2012 with Obama, you know, basically tearing it down so that you could build it up in the image that you see fit. Because if you don't like the founding fathers and what they stood for, and, and that's what the cancel culture was all about, and tearing the statues down was all about, and erasing our history and cancel culture and all these different uh, victim groups and, that need reparations to divide and plant a wedge between whites and blacks and black conservatives and black liberals. Because that's what Black Lives Matter was all about. Dividing black political uh, ideologies, uh, black conservatives and black liberals because black families would talk to each other and love each other and it didn't matter whether they were liberal or that they were conservative until black lives matter came in and started making a mockery of things and became this militant group that basically got into some very polarizing uh, uh, gaslighting Gaslighting is the word. Because they would make this data up. They would just make crap up about defunding the police, about police brutality, and about whether or not the Trump policies were good for black America, like opportunity zones and jobs programs and HBCU grants and the pardons that he gave. What the hell do you have to lose? Well, they made stuff up. The media then basically gaslit America. And you'd say, well, the sky really isn't purple. But you got banned for saying that. That white is not black and black is not white. Left is not right. But if you said it, you would be banned, censored, punished. If you were a J6 protester protesting against election fraud, you would be thrown in jail, the key would be thrown away, and everybody would be looking at like each other like, is this really happening? And when it's that strange and that weird and that crazy that you can't even speak up and say the obvious... Meanwhile, you got your liberal friends that are just like eating their pudding and... And just turning a blind eye to this stuff because somehow they're winning, but they're not winning. They just want to win this little battle for whatever reason because they didn't like Trump. And the media really did a great job in sowing the seeds of hatred against Trump, didn't they? With the Russian hoax and the P tapes. And all this other stuff. When Trump was beloved by everybody in America, there once upon a time. So it's all gaslighting. And the only way they they can count on you from to to uh, counterbalance and push back is when they actually tell you that the ob- uh, uh, obvious is the opposite of what it is. That's how they were able to divide black. Uh, black political forces. And they knew that they would keep 70% of that equation. 
and 30% of the black conservatives would be alienated from their own families, wouldn't talk to each other anymore. And if that didn't get the job done, certainly a pandemic would. Put a mask, slap a mask on your face. Don't get together for Christmas. Don't get together for Thanksgiving. It came at a perfect time when Donald Trump was starting to rise in the polls, doing great for America, putting an end to this nonsense, this globalism, where our politicians were selling out to the super globalist monopolies, the Black Rocks and the Vanguards and the State Streets and every company that owns them. And they were pushing an agenda, a world agenda, a global agenda. I'll read to you a little bit about what that global agenda is. It says New World Order, UN Agenda 21, Agenda 2030 Mission Goals. Let's see. Let's read them off, shall we? One world government, one world cashless uh, currency, one world central bank, one world military, one end, uh, the end of national sovereignty, the end of all privately owned property, the end of the family unit, depopulation control of population, uh, depopulation control of population growth and population density, mandatory multiple vaccines, Universal basic income austerity. Microchipped society for purchasing, travel, back, back, uh, backing, and controlling. Implementation of a world social credit system. Trillion of appliances hooked into the SG monitoring system. The social good. Government-owned and controlled schools, colleges, and universities. The end of private transportation, owning cars, etc. You'll own nothing and be happy. That's why we have Lyft and Uber now. The, and that's why, you know, they uh, tax and tax the cars. They make it almost impossible for you to get a combustible engine. They make it unaffordable for you to get an electric vehicle. They want to control your food through these um, foods uh, groups, uh, food zones. We just listened to Ruta from Norway uh, talk about that. The end of immigration, the end of private farms and grazing livestock. That's land. That gives you power. They want to take that land away from you. Cow flatulence is what they're going to use as an excuse. In the Netherlands, you know, the Netherlands is the second largest agricultural producer. And they are shutting down those farms and they're centralizing food sources. The ban on natural non-synthetic drugs, the end of fossil fuels. And again, this is your energy. This is your world. But they're taking it from you. This is your food. And these are your properties and your things. And they're taking it from you. And the people in charge... We're never elected to anything. Klaus Schwab comes to mind. Bill Gates is another. And people are start people are catching on. And we're gonna start with this audio clip here, and then we have a long clip that we're gonna play that's just gonna blow your mind. But uh here we go. This guy is onto something. He keeps getting banned on social media for talking about things that concern him. 
Well, let's see if this gets me banned. This is my first video of my third account. They keep on banning me because I talk about these things that they really don't like. Uh, for one, the global strategy for shaping the post-COVID-19 world. This is a uh, artistic rendering that is a celebration of death, which is what the globalists are into. You might have heard of this one. This is the Spars pandemic completed in 2017, outlining a scenario where a coronavirus comes from overseas and creates a pandemic for which vaccinations are rolled out prematurely, begin to injure people, and uh, the vaccine manufacturers are granted immunity from any backlash. Should sound familiar. Uh, this one is Agenda 2030 from the UN. They don't like you talking about that. They don't like you talking about Bill HR 666. They don't like you talking about HR 6666. They don't like you talking about the National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. Who are the terrorists? Um, you and me. This is Cyber Polygon. They don't like you talking about that either. That's, uh, you know, when Klaus Schwab says, there is a cyber crash coming that's going to make the pandemic look like absolutely nothing. That's what that document is about. They don't like you talking about the Rockefeller document that includes lockstep, which is uh, outlines a, a scenario where there's a pandemic, there's an outbreak that begins to kill people. And um, these three were all completed two months before COVID-19 became a thing. And these are all drills for what to do if, say, there's a virus, and uh, in the case of Crimson Contagion, it comes from China, begins to kill people. Uh, this one's from the U.S. Naval War College, urban outbreak, same thing, pandemic, what's, what's our response going to be to it? And of course, Event 201, you may have heard of, same thing, two months before COVID-19 is when all these people came together and said, oh, whatever shall we do if this happens? So it, it's not a what shall we do, it's a here's what we're going to do. And they tell you, they tell you, you might as well just put it on your calendar, right? They tell you it's coming. You know why they're telling you it's coming? Because they're not talking to you as much as they're talking to the people that need to carry out the mission, their mission. You're just going, you know, it's such a global big thing that they can't possibly communicate the way they need to without it getting out there. So they just blatantly, just openly just tell you what it is. You know, like if you, we were to look back at what Dr. Fauci said, right? Dr. Fauci um, basically said this. Is that there is no question that there will be a challenge to the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases, both chronic infectious diseases in the sense of already ongoing disease, and we have certainly a large burden of that, but also there will be a surprise outbreak. And I hope by the end of my relatively short presentation, you will understand why history, the history of the last 32 years that I've been the director of NIAID, will tell the next administration that there's no doubt in anyone's mind that they will be faced with the challenges that their predecessors were faced with. So that's about as clear, Given as, it, that's about as, clear as it possibly could be. As you heard right from the intro. Right? That's about as clear as it possibly could be. This was in two, Fauci at Georgetown in 2017, he said that. 
How did he know? And when we take a look at, because the clip, we're, the long clip we're going to play today is going to be about 17 minutes long. It's going to feature Dr. David Martin, and he is going to outright prove his case that COVID was a bioweapon. But we're also going to hear from others talking about how the next crisis is going to happen. So I'm going to start with uh, Klaus Schwab for a second. And he's going to talk about Cyber Polygon, which is what that guy just mentioned, right? Cyber Polygon is something to do with cyber attacks with COVID-like characteristics. May not even be a cyber attack. It might be a power outage. See, the problem is this. If they do a pandemic, guess who gains power? The WHO. And the globalists that are running these corporations. And did you ever notice that it was all the globalists that uh, that usurped power from the people? It wasn't. It wasn't anyone else. It was always these globalists that wanted to strap a mask on your face and lock you down and uh, exploit the pandemic as an opportunity to do facial recognition, like in China they did that, or set up a social credit score precursor called a vaccine uh, passport. They were so quick to roll these things out instead of finding a solution to a problem that they themselves created. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. They create the problem, then they get to put it out. Sort of like that fireman that starts the fire, then becomes the hero and puts the fire out. So these globalists are basically creating these problems with their own, you know, new world order concepts that nobody wants. And the way you get there is you destroy things so you could build them back up. Cloward and Piven, Saul Alinsky, Barack Obama. So you create a pandemic, then you actually profit from it through the pharmaceuticals. You control people, you benefit, you know, as uh, Klaus Schwab said, uh, and, and a lot of others, COVID was a way to really legitimize controls. And COVID was a way to advance control. But what if they knocked the power out? Electronic, uh, electromagnetic pulses and, and cyber attacks. What would that do? That would be worse than a pandemic. Is that going to be the next shoe to drop? It certainly looks like they're basically saying this in every... And they're going, guess what? They're going to blame Russia. Ultimately, the... Russia will be to blame. Just like Russia blew up their own pipeline, right? The climate climate people never mentioned one word. There was never one thing about Greta Thunberg talking about the Nord Stream 2. There's never ever a mention of Greta Thunberg talking about the coal fire plants being uh, built every single day in China. They're at about 10,000% where they used to be in their carbon emissions, but nobody cares about that. They just want to spend $50 trillion on a climate initiative. 
because they're going to take that money just like they did the COVID relief funds and pay off all their cronies who were rolling out election fraud in their in in the local uh, municipalities where these this fraud was happening. So let's take a listen to this uh, Klaus Schwab thing. This is from 2020. This is the video. The the audio says July 2020. But I'm thinking this cyber polygon is actually July 2021. I think it might have been mislabeled. But either way, I'm pretty sure this is July 2021. Klaus Schwab spoke about the cyber polygon organized by the World Economic Forum stating a cyber attack with COVID-like characteristics, which promises to be far more devastating and chaotic than COVID-19 pandemics. Can we just, like, get these... When concepts become reality, <clears throat> event 201 is what you get. But still, pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. The COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. To use the COVID-19 crisis as a timely opportunity to reflect on the lessons the cybersecurity community can draw and improve our impreparedness for a potential cyber pandemic. But still. There it is. That's Klaus Schwab. All right. Now, let's take a listen to this. This is the future. Now, this is current, contemporaneous. This is just happening where you have CBS Evening News talking about the secu- securing the grid. Let's take a listen to this. Well, tonight, the nation's intelligence agencies are warning of cyber threats from Russia and are urging U.S. critical infrastructure defenses to be reinforced. As CBS's Bill Whitaker reported on Sunday night, 60 Minutes, it wouldn't take much to throw the entire country into darkness. The grid is a sprawling target. There are actually three in the U.S., the eastern, western, and Texas has its own. Most of us rarely notice substations. There are 55,000 across the country, each housing transformers, the workhorses of the grid. Inside these massive metal boxes, raw electricity is converted to higher or lower voltages. Should a transformer explode, like this one in Manhattan during Superstorm Sandy, the system is designed to trigger a localized grid-preserving blackout. But if several sections of the grid go down at the same time, the shutdowns can cascade like dominoes. That's what set off the Great Northeast Blackout in 2003, leaving 45 million Americans without power. A few months before the assault on Metcalf, John Wellinghoff of FERC commissioned a study to see if a physical attack on critical transformers could trigger cascading blackouts. 
It was actually a very shocking result to us that there's very few number of substations you need to take out uh, in the entire United States to knock out the entire grid. Knock out the entire grid? That's correct. How many would it take to knock out putting the entire country in a blackout? Less than 20. And Bill Whitaker joins us now. So, Bill, just 20 substations to knock out the entire system. I mean, that's unbelievable. But your reporting is it could be even less than that. That's right, Nora. That report was from 2013, and it actually found the number was even lower, nine. Taking out just nine critical substations could black out the whole country. We were told by multiple sources that the number has not changed much, that less than 20 is a fair assessment. Well, what can the government do or anybody do about this? Spend money. And spend it on two things. One, to increase the capacity of these high-powered transmission lines so you decrease their vulnerability to large-scale blackouts. That's already happening through the administration's new infrastructure bill. And two, invest in better security. But that's not happening right now. Remember, the country's 3,000 power companies are in the business of selling electricity, not national security. And this last point is really important because the threat is real. Just last week, three white supremacists pleaded guilty to plotting to attack power grids throughout the country. White supremacists? Did you hear that? White supremacists are to blame. And they had a plan to hit critical substations simultaneously to to cause a massive blackout. Quite scary. Yeah. So white supremacists are the blame, right? I've never met a white supremacist. The only group I ever saw, you know, I saw this meme the other day. It said, you know, uh, what happens when a white supremacist uh, is so few that the FBI needs to plant themselves as white supremacists, then what? You know, that's what that's what happens. Carl, you're on the air. Hey, good morning, Scott. Good morning. I um I, I'm noticing something here. Uh, when when Mr. Schwab talks about the things that we fear, uh, I think he's not putting out a warning. He's putting out a plan of attack. Yeah. And I think these these media outlets that go around saying, "Oh, well, you know how weak our system is." Well, this is how you can take it out. Well, certainly, letting a Chinese spy bo- spy balloon float over our country and locate and pinpoint all nine towers that would be strategically taken out in the case you wanted to knock out our power grid would be one thing you would want China to do. But we allowed their balloons to go all over our country, mapping out our power grid. And uh, that wasn't too smart. And that happened under Joe Biden's watch because the Biden crime family is in bed with China. China. But why would they have to do something as low tech and conspicuous as uh, uh, balloons? I mean, they've got spy planes, they've got satellites. Why would they do something so obvious? Well, apparently it wasn't too obvious. I mean, it, 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 they have been doing it for quite some time, and that wasn't the first balloon. So we just weren't spotting them, but finally we did. Maybe, be, you know, because they that the balloon that we did spot was the biggest one. Well, I mean, what do you mean by we? You mean we the people or, or we, we the, the military? We the people, I, I, we the military, uh, we the people in the Northwest, for example, were into the, you know, spotted it first. Hmm. 
Yeah, you know these uh, these uh, they 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 speak in in double speak when they when they talk about things that they yeah. they that they act like they're warning us about possible things when they're actually uh, uh, putting forth the game plan. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I think it is because they need to communicate with everybody and and uh, I I think that they need to communicate their plans. And they do it in a certain way. Like when Fauci is speaking before a group at Georgetown, yes, it's on video, it's on audio, and it's recorded forever. But he has to actually communicate these ideas. And somebody has a camera, you know, always has a camera. But um, they have to communicate and disseminate this information um, because they're talking about a global effort, uh, you know, so I think that that's the only way that they are going to communicate it. I mean, certainly you have a, a, a clandestine communication apparatus like the one the FBI had with Twitter. But uh, in any case, I'm going to go ahead and take another caller really quick. And I'll All take right, you for calling you in. Caller, you're on the air. Uh, yeah, I know this off the subject. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, yeah. Do you know if there's going to be a federal shutdown? Uh, no, don't know anything you know about that. No, I don't know uh, anything about that, but thank you. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, uh, okay. So we're going to go right back onto the program. And, um, you know, I sometimes take these calls because they're coming in. Uh, so many are actually coming in. Uh, and then when I do take one, it goes through the uh, through the earpiece, as you heard, and uh, it's hard to s- stop it sometimes um, without it interrupting the show. But in any case, so that's CBS forewarning us. Well, we were forewarned also with uh, the 201 event, and I want to play this particular array of clips here. Let's take a listen to this. We're at the start of what's looking like it will be a severe pandemic. And there are problems emerging that can only be solved by global business and governments working together. Global business and governments working together. That's what World Economic Forum is all about. The World Economic Forum is all about global businesses and global governments. And again, global governments. What's a global global government? It's a government run by a globalist. Like a like a Justin Trudeau, like a uh, Mark Rutte uh, from the N- Norway, uh, like uh, Emmanuel Macron from France, like Rishi Sunak from the U- UK, like Jacinda Ardern was from New Zealand, and uh, all of these installments of these leaders running these countries, they're all on board with the global agenda the 2030 agenda. They're all on board with marrying themselves to big corporations because it's very, very profitable for them to do that. That's the thing. So here, I want to, I want to uh, go ahead and uh, play this m- main clip that I wanted to play today before we run out of time on this one. And, uh, and then we have other stuff that we want to actually get into uh, so let's just go ahead and start this now. This is uh, Dr. David Martin. He's going to tell you and make a case that 
COVID was, in fact, a bioweapon. This is going to blow your mind. Strap in, buckle up, take a listen. If there's one thing you want to listen to, uh, it's this particular 17 minutes of of uh, real facts going on here. This was at the European Parliament, and this was Dr. David Martin, and this was just uh, about a couple of weeks ago. Ironically, the world that I came from that used to be very popular, my CNBC and Bloomberg presentations, which were televised on mainstream media around the world, was an audience that I lost. I I can confidently say COVID diminished my fame. But I can also confidently say that I'd rather stand among the people with whom I'm standing today than any of the folks that were part of that previous world. So this is a much better place to be. My role today is to set the stage for this conversation in a historical context, because this did not come in the last three years. This did not come in the last five or six years. This actually is an ongoing question that probably began here in Europe in the early stages of the mid-1900s, but certainly by 1913, 1914, this conversation started right here in Central Europe. The pandemic that we alleged to have happen in the last few years also did not happen overnight. In fact, the very specific pandemic using coronavirus began in a very different time. And we'll try to advance the slides here with one of these things. Oh, there we go. Most of you don't know that coronavirus as a model of a pathogen was isolated in 1965. Coronavirus was identified in 1965 as one of the first infectious replicatable viral models that could be used to modify a series of other experiences of the human condition. It was isolated once upon a time associated with the common cold. But what's particularly interesting about its isolation in 1965 was that it was immediately identified as a pathogen that could be used and modified for a whole host of reasons. And you heard me correctly. That was 1965. And by the way, these slides are public domain. You're welcome to look at every single reference. Every comment that I made is based on published material. So do make sure that you look at those references. But in 1966... The very first COV coronavirus model was used as a transatlantic biological experiment in human manipulation. And you heard the date, 1966. I hope you're getting the point of what I'm saying. This is not an overnight thing. This is actually something that's been long in the making. A year before I was born we had the first transatlantic coronavirus data-sharing experiment between the United States and the United Kingdom. And in 1967, the year I was born, we did the first human trials on inoculating people with modified coronavirus. Isn't that amazing? 56 years ago, the overnight success of a pathogen that's been 56 years in engineering... And I want that to chill with all of you. Where were we when we actually allowed, in violation of biological and chemical weapons treaties, where were we 
as a human civilization, when we thought it was an acceptable thing to do to take a pathogen for the United States and infect the world with it? Where was that conversation? And what should have been that conversation in 1967? That conversation wasn't had. Ironically, the common cold was turned into a chimera in the 1970s. And in 1975, 1976, and 1977, we started figuring out how to modify coronavirus by putting it into different animals, pigs and dogs. And not surprisingly, by the time we got to 1990, we found out that coronavirus as an infectious agent was an industrial problem for two primary industries, the industries of dogs and pigs. Dog breeders and pigs found that coronavirus created gastrointestinal problems, and that became the basis for Pfizer's first spike protein vaccine patent filed, are you ready for this, in 1990. Did you hear what I just said? 1990. Operation Warp Speed? I'm sorry. Where's the warp and the speed? Pfizer, 1990, the very first spike protein vaccine for coronavirus. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it fascinating that we were, we were told that, well, the spike protein is a new thing. We just found out that that's the problem. No. As a matter of fact, we didn't just find out it was not just now, now the problem. We found that out in 1990 and filed the first patents on vaccines in 1990 for the spike protein of coronavirus. And who would have thought? Pfizer. Clearly the innocent organization that does nothing but promote human health. Clearly Pfizer. The organization that has not bought the votes in this chamber and in every chamber of every government around the world. Not that Pfizer. Certainly, they wouldn't have had anything to do with this. But, oh, yes, they did. And in 1990, they found out that there was a problem with vaccines. They didn't work. You know why they didn't work? It turns out that coronavirus is a very malleable model. It transforms and it changes and it mutates over time. As a matter of fact, every publication on vaccines for coronavirus from 1990 until 2018, every single publication concluded that coronavirus escapes the vaccine impulse because it modifies and mutates too quickly for vaccines to be effective. And since 1990 to 2018, that is the published science, ladies and gentlemen. That's following the science. Following the science is their own indictment of their own programs that said it doesn't work. And there are thousands of publications to that effect, not a few hundred and not paid for by pharmaceutical companies. These are publications that are independent scientific research that shows unequivocally, including efforts of the chimera modifications made by Ralph Berk in the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. All of them show vaccines do not work on coronavirus. That's the science. And that science has never been disputed. But then we had an interesting development in 2002, and this date is most important, because in 2002, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, patented, and I quote, an infectious replication defective clone of coronavirus. 
Listen to those words. Infectious replication defective. What does that phrase actually mean? For those of you not familiar with language, let me unpack it for you. Infectious replication defective means a weapon. It means something meant to target an individual, but not have collateral damage to other individuals. That's what infectious replication defective means. And that patent was filed in 2002 on work funded by NIAID's Anthony Fauci from 1999 to 2002. And that work, patented at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, mysteriously preceded SARS 1.0 by a year. (gasps) Dave, are you suggesting that SARS 1.0 wasn't from a wet market in Wuhan? Are you suggesting it might have come from a laboratory? In the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill? No, I'm not suggesting it. I'm telling you that's the facts. We engineered SARS. SARS is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. The naturally occurring phenomenon is called the common cold. It's called influenza-like illness. It's called gastroenteritis. That's the naturally occurring coronavirus. SARS is the research developed by humans weaponizing a life system model to actually attack human beings. And they patented it in 2002. And in 2003, giant surprise, the CDC filed the patent on coronavirus isolated from humans in violation, once again, of biological and chemical weapons treaties and laws that we have in the United States. And I'm very, very precise on this. The United States likes to talk about its rights and everything else and the rule of law and all the nonsense that we like to talk about. But we don't ratify treaties about, I don't know, defending humans. We conspicuously avoid that. We actually have a great track record of advocating for human rights and then denying them when it comes to actually being part of the international community, which is a slightly problematic thing. But let's get something very clear. When the CDC in April of 2003 filed the patent on SARS coronavirus isolated from humans, what did they do? They downloaded a sequence from China and filed a patent on it in the United States. Any of you familiar with biological and chemical weapons treaties knows that's a violation. That's a crime. That's not an innocent oops. That's a crime. And the United States Patent Office went as far as to reject that patent application on two occasions until the CDC decided to bribe the patent office to override the patent examiner to ultimately issue the patent in 2007 on SARS coronavirus. But let's not let that get away from us because it turns out that the RT-PCR which was the test that we allegedly were going to use to identify the risks associated with coronavirus, was actually identified as a bioterrorism threat by me in the European Union-sponsored events in 2002 and 2003, 20 years ago. That happened here in Brussels and across Europe. In 2005, This particular pathogen was specifically labeled as a bioterrorism and bioweapon platform technology. Described as such, that's not my terminology that I'm applying to it. It was actually described as a bioweapons platform technology in 2005. 
And from 2005 onwards, it was actually a biowarfare enabling agent, its official classification from 2005 forward. I don't know if that sounds like public health to you. Does it? Biological warfare enabling technology. That feels like not public health. That feels like not medicine. That feels like a weapon designed to take out humanity. That's what it feels like. And it feels like that because that's exactly what it is. We have been lured into believing that EcoHealth Alliance and DARPA and all of these organizations are what we should be pointing to. But we've been specifically requested to ignore the facts that over $10 billion have been funneled through black operations through the check of Anthony Fauci and a side-by-side -side ledger where NIAID has a balance sheet and next to it is a biodefense balance sheet equivalent dollar-for-dollar -dollar matching that no one in the media talks about. And it's been going on since 2005. Our gain-of-function moratorium the moratorium that was supposed to freeze any efforts to do gain-of-function research. Conveniently, in the fall of 2014, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill received a letter from NIAID saying that while the gain-of-function moratorium on coronavirus in vivo should be suspended, because their grants had already been funded, they received an exemption. Did you hear what I just said? A biological weapons lab facility at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, received an exemption from the gain-of-function moratorium so that by 2016, we could publish the, the journal article that said, SARS coronavirus is poised for human emergence in 2016. And what, you might ask, Dave, was the coronavirus poised for human emergence? It was W. IV-1, Wuhan Institute of Virology Virus 1, poised for human emergence in 2016 at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, such that by the time we get to 2017 and 2018, the following phrase entered into common parlance among the community. There is going to be an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen. The operative word, obviously, in that phrase, the word release. Does that sound like leak? Does that sound like a bat and a pangolin went into a bar in the Wuhan market and hung out and had sex and, and lo and behold, we got SARS-CoV-2? No. Accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen was the terminology used and four times in April of 2019, seven months before the allegation of patient number one, four patent applications of Moderna were modified to include the term accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen as the justification for making a vaccine for a thing that did not exist. Keep going. If you have not done so, please make sure that you make reference in every investigation to the premeditation nature of this, because it was in September of 2019 that the world was informed 
that we were going to have an accidental or intentional release of a respiratory pathogen so that by September 2020, there would be a worldwide acceptance of a universal vaccine template. That's their words right in front of you on the screen. The intent was to get the world to accept a universal vaccine template, and the intent was to use coronavirus to get there. And the last slide. This isn't advancing, so if I could have somebody do it. Let's, let's read this because we have to read this into the record everywhere I go. Until an infectious disease crisis is very real, present, and at the emergency threshold that is often largely ignored. To sustain the funding base beyond the crisis, he said, we need to increase the public understanding for the need for medical countermeasures such as a pan-influenza or pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Sounds like public health? Sounds like the best of humanity. No, ladies and gentlemen, this was premeditated domestic terrorism stated at the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015, published in front of them. This is an this is an act of biological and chemical warfare perpetrated on the human race. And it was admitted to in writing that this was a financial heist and a financial fraud. Investors will follow if they see profit at the end of the process. Let me conclude by making five very brief recommendations. The last slide. Nature was hijacked. This whole story started in 1965 when we decided to hijack a natural model and decide to start manipulating it. Science was hijacked when the only questions that could be asked were questions authorized under the patent protection of the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, and their equivalent organizations around the world. We didn't have independent science. We had hijacked science. And unfortunately, there was no moral oversight in violation of all of the codes that we stand for. There was no independent, financially disinterested, independent review board ever impaneled around coronavirus. Not once. Not once. Not since 1965. We do not have a single independent IRB ever impaneled around coronavirus. So morality was suspended for medical countermeasures. And ultimately, humanity was lost because we decided to allow it to happen. Our job today is to say no more gain-of-function research, period. No more weaponization of nature, period. And most importantly, no more corporate patronage of science for their own self-interest unless they assume 100% product liability for every injury and every death that they maintain. Thank you very much. Wow, that just blows me away. Um, you know, and the arrogance of Fauci and Hillary Clinton when they knew that they were perpetrating, whether it was Benghazi or this, you know, this pandemic, scandemic, I always said that Fauci was protected. That he was part of, like, and I use the uh, example of Einstein and the atom bomb. And for years I've said this now, that Fauci was untouchable because he was hired by the government to do a mission. And he was working hand in glove with the State Department, CIA, USAID, the Pentagon, and everything else in between. And 
he was the perfect candidate because he is the guy with 50 years of bureaucratic experience. He is connected with the academic world. He's connected with the pharmaceutical world. And he is the one connected with all of these different entities that can actually be that world economic forum of mixing corporations and governments together, right? And and throw in academic too. He was the perfect Klaus Schwab for this agenda, right? And that's what he was, the liaison. And he was the one that was working with the wheels of government to get all this to happen. And we have to be worried about the next one. Just take a listen to this open from... Uh, Let's talk about Bill Gates and the next pandemic. Um, Bill Gates and the World Health Organization have announced when we will see the next pandemic. And they have a date for us. Uh, So get this on your calendar. Prepare, you know, plan your trips around this next pandemic right now. We'll have more on that in a second. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's the that's about the way it is. Let's let's take a listen to Candace. Ellen, just for just a quick sec. What would you do? if they brought the power grid down. And by they, I mean if the government purposefully brought the power grid down. And I'm not asking that question for fun. I'm asking that. Well, you know what? If they bring the power grid down, guess who's going to be in charge of bringing the power grid back up? Guess who's going to be in charge of windmills and and, uh, solar panels? Guess who's going to be in charge of electric vehicles and batteries and, and, and your energy? So if they bring the power grid down, guess who's going to be in charge of uh, bringing it back up? The same people who brought it down are going to be the same people bringing it back up. That's the sad place where we find ourselves right now. So we still are um, getting a lot of people to send in uh, for uh, the, uh, a free copy of the American Spectator. And that's featuring uh, it's a it's a two magazine per year thing. This is free, though. You just send me an email and Leonora, who has two featured articles in that magazine, will send you a copy and you could do with it whatever you want. So uh, you could just email email uh, Scott at scottadamshow.com. That's scott at scottadamshow.com. Email scott at scottadamshow.com and uh, give us your mailing address. Leonora is going to go ahead and take care of that with some interns and basically send you a note and uh, and we'll mail, they'll mail you for free, no charge. It doesn't cost you a doggone thing. Um, and you'll just get a free copy of the magazine and so you could see what it's about. And read her articles in print. Also, be sure to check out magapack.org. None of this is easy, folks, to put this all together um, and to do all this research. And uh, donations over at magapack.org directly help the Scott Adams Show and Red State Talk Radio. So if you like what we're doing, Advancing America First Policies, make a donation over at magapack.org. Go to magapack.org. Make a donation if you can. Use Red State over at MyPillow.com. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody.